Welcome to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. This is the Michigan Business Network. Appreciate having you on the pod once again. We've got a great guest to talk to today, someone I've known for a long time who really knows the economy and knows how banking and money works. Patrick Heller joins us today. Patrick Heller is now the communications officer for Liberty Coin Service. But at one time, he was the owner, and I'd give you all of his accolades and awards, but we wouldn't be able to get the pot in because he's done so much. And so we'll just bring him right on. Patrick, how are you, my friend? Doing all right. All right. Well, we know that your voice is like working against you here, so we're going to dive right into it. I know that Liberty Coin Service recently sent out media notice, and it was titled Risks of Sudden Huge Expansion of Federal Reserve Bank Assets. Talk a little bit about that, Patrick. Yes. Since last June, the Federal Open Market Committee of the Federal Reserve has had a policy that it was going to reduce their balance sheet by $95 billion per month. They have done so each month through the end of February. And just their latest meeting on March 22nd, they announced they were going to continue that policy of reducing their balance sheet. But after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank from March 18 to March 15, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve increased $297 billion. And then in the next week, March 15 to March 22, it increased another $94 billion. That means the balance sheet isn't going down, it's going the other direction. The reduction in the balance sheet was meant to be one of the tactics where the Fed would be working to reduce price increases. Obviously, Reducing price increases is not their current priority. The news has gotten more dismal since late last week. Federal Reserve released information that in the week ending March 15, banks across the country had increased their cash holding. And increases in cash holdings are done where you anticipate that your customers are going to be withdrawing funds from their accounts. So the banking industry is preparing for bank runs. At the same time, that was actually happening. In the week ending March 15, the banks in the United States, other than the 25 largest banks, withdrew or saw depositors withdraw $116 billion. That was more than double the previous weekly decline in customer account balances, which was a record set during the Great Recession 16 years ago. So people are actually pulling money out of the banks. Patrick, how did this happen? Aren't banks and regulators and the Fed supposedly monitoring banks to make sure things like this don't happen? In theory, they are. They do something called stress tests. On larger banks, and starting in September 2019, the Federal Reserve has been active injecting liquidity into banks that are the now 26 primary trading partners of the New York Federal Reserve Bank. And the amounts have amounted to tens to hundreds of billions of dollars a day from September 2019 
to July 2020, the cumulative amount loaned in or they called the repo loans, where uh, the bank's treasury debt was used as collateral. These overnight loans and short-term loans totaled more than $10 trillion. So what you see with the liquidity injections still being put into American banks, that's a sign that they're having liquidity problems. So we dropped the ball, not only on those stress tests, but the regulators who oversee this. Is there a penalty for that? Do you think there's going to be some change with this? Ideally, there should be. Some of the simple ones would include separating banks that serve individual and commercial customer accounts versus investment banks. It's the investment side of things that is causing so much trouble for these banks. And if you just had them as separate entities, the banks that are serving the public, not investors, tend not to have very much in the way of problems. It's the investment banks where borrow money short term and invested in a long-term treasury debt back when I was paying less than 2% interest rate. They're now taking losses because to borrow money short term, they're having to pay a lot higher than they're earning on that debt. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business. We're talking with Patrick Keller. When we come back, we're going to talk about a possible bank run. We'll do that next here on the Michigan Business Network. for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Patrick Heller, who's the communications officer for Liberty Coin Service in Michigan. Patrick, are we going to see a bank run? Effectively, it has started on a small scale. And the week ended March 15th. Our account balances, other than the 25 largest U.S. banks, declined by 2%. That was the largest weekly decline in 16 years. It's not anything like the scale of what happened in the Great Depression where you had lines of people standing outside of banks waiting to be able to withdraw their funds. But it's still operating on a small scale. The public has some assurance because the Federal Reserve has done so that they will inject liquidity into the banking system to make it possible for banks to manage, at least to some degree, bank runs that may develop. What can be done in the short term and the long term to prevent this, or is it too late? The bad news is there's a lot of unrealized losses on banks 
balance sheets in the United States. Just this morning, March 28th, officials from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation testified to the Senate Banking Committee. And one of the charts they put up showed that the banks collectively in the U.S. have more than $600 billion of unrealized losses on their books. That means the assets they show in their financial statements are not as valuable as they are. And if you go back to the Great Recession, the largest amount of unrealized losses at any time there was only $75 billion. Yet you had a Great Recession. So with the banks in such greater loss position today, it's going to be hard to find something that's not going to involve huge bailouts from the government, meaning eventually the taxpayers. Patrick, I have recently read that since Joe Biden took office, that he and his administration have taken out $7 trillion. That's how much more money we've seen just be pumped back into the economy. And I know that COVID was a big reason for that, but that's a lot of money. What's your take on that? It is. And when the amount of goods and services being provided is not changing or not growing anywhere to that same extent, you're inevitably going to have higher consumer prices. That's economics 101. It doesn't take a PhD to understand that when you have more money chasing a static pool of goods and services, prices are going to go up. Patrick, are we in a recession right now? In my mind, we have been actually since the beginning of 2022. There's four components that define what is a recession or not. Three of the four parts have been negative since the beginning of last year. The one component that hasn't been negative is the size of government spending. And because that's so large, that is masking whether or not the public perceives us as being in a recession or from the Bureau of Economic Analysis stating whether we're officially in a recession. All right, Patrick, let me dream here. Let's just say this administration decided to cut spending by 20%. How far could that go in securing our future, securing the economy, helping the bank run. You can dream of that in <laughs> terms. It can't happen because the majority of federal spending is entitlement payments, which in theory cannot be touched in the short term. You have maybe 35, maybe as much as 40% that is discretionary spending, which includes the defense budget, it includes interest on the U.S. government debt, which is now the third largest expenditure after defense and entitlement programs. And if the government were to say we're just not going to pay interest on our debt, it would find it about impossible to be able to borrow more funds. This is Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Patrick Keller. When we come back, we're going to have perhaps some solutions for the economic troubles we're facing here in the United States. We'll do that next on the Michigan Business Network.
Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. I'm Tony Conley. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Patrick Keller from Liberty Coin Service in Michigan. All right, Patrick, let's just say, since I've been dreaming here, let's just say the president calls up Patrick Keller and says, get here into my office right now. I need short-term and long-term solutions to fix the economy, to start dealing with this debt, to secure our future. What will Patrick Heller suggest? It'd be pretty extreme ideas. The United States did relatively well since the late 1700s up until 1913 when the Federal Reserve Bank was established. There was a Bank of the United States for 40 years during that period But it was a private bank rather than technically a central bank. The private banking system up until 1914 did fairly well, managed to avoid financial crises in the banking industry, especially not on the scale that we're facing today. When you did have problems and there were panics and recessions and depressions, they tended to be fairly small. And they were over fairly quick, usually in a matter of a few months to less than a year. And they were not anywhere as deep as they have been, such as the Great Recession, the Great Depression, or what we're facing today. If you do have the Federal Reserve Bank continuing in operation, it should be totally separate from the banking system. It should be working more on the stability of the U.S. dollar. You don't want to have a dollar that's getting stronger. You don't want to have one getting weaker. You want to have a stable dollar because investors and businesses can more easily plan future activities if they can rely on a stable dollar. So, Patrick, it sounds to me like you're saying there is no way out of this. There is, but it's going to involve a lot of financial pain in order to get out of the Mail investments and misinvestments in today's environment, and then to not repeat the mistakes that brought us where we are today to make things work more smoothly in the future. Politicians don't want to advocate such drastic actions because that hurts their reelection chances. So it's the longer it takes to fix mail investments and the structural problems in the economy the worse everything gets. Patrick, it's been said that the Donald Trump administration had a better handle on the economy. Would you agree or disagree with that? I don't really agree on it because he just went right along building the size of the federal government debt during his administration as pretty much everybody. He asked for possible solutions. Another solution would be for the financial statements of the federal government to be accurately reported on the same accrual basis accounting standards that the private industry is required to use 
and now also state and local governments are required to use. The federal government does not include the three to five trillion dollars a year of deficits run with Social Security and Medicare programs, for instance. If those were accurately recorded, it would inform the public, inform Congress that maybe you need to take some serious action a little bit sooner than later. You think that'll ever happen? Unfortunately, not till after there's a lot of financial crises. It sounds to me like me included and the media as a whole really haven't done a good enough job at communicating what we do know to be true to the public. What do you think? I agree. There's a lot of pressure to report news fast nowadays. So you tend to see government headlines reported and don't dig down into the underlying data often, which contradicts the headlines. So what can we in the media do better to be reporting this besides to do it more frequently? Do a more thorough job of reading all the information that's released or having a more skeptical attitude towards just automatically believing and repeating the headline number without checking is that supported by the underlying data. Well, it sounds to me like, Patrick, we're not going to address this until it's too late. I wonder what that's going to do to businesses as well as the public. We had some idea of what it could mean in the Far East Asia crisis in 1997. It hit Indonesia the worst. Indonesian citizens who had their wealth in government currency were pretty much wiped out. Those who happened to own some physical gold and silver did suffer to some degree. Patrick Keller is the communications officer for Liberty Coin Service. For folks who want to know more, Patrick, and get more information, where else can they go? I write a monthly newsletter for Liberty Coin Service called Liberty's Outlook. You can find the archives of that at libertycoinservice.com. I also write weekly columns for numismaticnews.net, and you can check the Facebook page at Liberty Coin Service for more frequent postings. I'm Tony Conley. This has been Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We'll see you next time.